The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. It is time. Wednesday, 9 o'clock, Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hi, Matt. How are you? Hey, what's up? How you doing? I, that guy that does that Matt Hasselbeck show, you know that thing. I got to get him to do my voicemail on my cell phone. That'd be awesome. We could actually set that I up. Might for know you a if guy. You want it. Yeah, yeah, we could legitimately get that done. His name is Jim <laughs> Cutler. That guy, Jimmy, Jimmy Cutler. I know a Jimmy Cutler up here in Boston. He lives in Long Island in a house where he does all his work from his little home studio. Him and his wife, and he does. He works for half the sports radio stations in the country, half the news talk radio stations, tons of TV. All he does is talk like that all day, and I think he must make, I don't know, a tremendous amount of money. Well, listen, I don't even need him to do my voicemail. Just give me his phone number, and I'm just going to call his voicemail, and I just want to hear his voicemail. (laughs) Pretty good. Uh, Matt, we got a lot to do today, so let's start here. What what happened to the Seahawks team that we watched and were talking about in week one? Because it's unrecognizable from the conversations we've been having this week. Well, I recognize Seahawks football from their last two opponents. I mean, the Tennessee Titans, to me, played Seahawks football. Uh, this past week, the Minnesota Vikings, they played Seahawks football. They put a game away in the fourth quarter. They ran the ball tremendously well, handled the blitz tremendously well. And, uh, and, 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 you know, had explosives all over the place. So, uh, it's really interesting that, that people are, are using what Seattle wants to be against them the last two weeks. But I said it on our Sunday NFL countdown show before the game. The Minnesota Vikings are the best 0 2 football team in the league. They are really impressive. And Kirk Cousins and company are playing really, really good football. Yeah. And they play pretty well. And yet I agree with you. It's easy to recognize what the Seahawks want to do based on what their opponents are doing. Specifically, the defense has been awfully problematic, and I think they've given up the most yards in the league this year. A lot of fans, of course, looking at the cornerbacks and saying that's the problem. Pete was a little bit more on the linebackers and even more the pressure in terms of why they were giving up so many yards. We were asking about the linebackers' role in the zone coverage. Take a listen. Most of the emphasis is for linebackers to drop into their zones, depending on what kind of zone it is, and get the ball to get dumped off. Really, try to make the ball thrown underneath you. That's that's the, the primary way you play zone defense. So you have to be in the right spots. So you force the, the quarterback to have to take the check down, and then you try to minimize the check down. And that's that's the game you play. If you're minimizing the check down well enough, then you're okay in zones. If not, if they're making seven or eight yards a snap, you know, checking the ball down, then you have to mix, and then you try to cover more aggressively in man, in man coverage. So there's guys on guys, so the check down isn't as available. As a quarterback, what does that mean to you? Yeah, he's absolutely right. The danger is we all know that. And you go back to that Tennessee Titans game, and I thought the Tennessee Titans used that against Seattle in their zone, um, in their zone coverage. I mean, Bobby, Bobby Wagner, I think, who's an amazing player, but he ended the day with maybe 20 tackles or something crazy like that. But, you know, a lot of those were on those checkdowns where, uh, Ryan Tannehill just said, Hey, I'll take what you're going to give me. I'll take what you're going to give me. I'm not going to get bored. Can't go broke, get taken a profit on each down. And that's what he did. And they just marched the ball right down the field and defenses bank on quarterbacks and offensive coordinators getting greedy and getting bored and not taking advantage of that. But I really don't think zone defense was really the Seahawks issue. I really thought it was their pressure and their lack of pressure, lack of making the quarterback uncomfortable. They haven't created turnovers. I don't think they have any turnovers this year. I could be wrong. I don't they think have they have one any sack turnovers. fumble. 
Yeah, so I mean that that. But did they get the did they get the ball off of that? Yeah, I'm not they sure. Did. They won against okay. Tennessee. It led to the short field for Russ. That's but you're right. right. They have no interceptions on the year, and that's the only turnover they've caused. Yeah, so like that's the whole name of the game. You want to make your back seven look better. You want to make your corners look better. Uh, affect the quarterback. Get a pass rush. Get a pass rush with four would be the dream come true. But if you cannot get a pass rush with four, then you're going to have to bring linebackers, bring DBs. They've got guys who are good at blitzing, but it's all got to be in unison. It's all got to be in sync. There were two plays in the game this past week where the backers are coming free and there's a really nice disguise, but the DBs are over disguising they're sort of in my opinion out of position and instead of a big play for the defense it's a big play for the offense and that's incredibly frustrating because it's a perfect play call as a defensive coach and yet for whatever reason the defense is not Mm. executing the great play call you mentioned Bobby and, and the number of tackles that he had, and you're like the third or fourth ex-NFL guy that I've talked to in the last week or two who who has mentioned that, you know, as great as Bobby is, maybe some of those tackles are coming because of issues in the zone coverage. What would your coaching point be? How do you if, – if, what could he be doing differently other than just tackling the check down? Yeah, I, listen, put me in the category of people that think that Bobby's not the problem. He's doing his job properly. You need everybody else to do their job properly. That's that's the problem. You know, on a seven seven checkdowns, hey, guys, up front, D-line, pass rush, you got to get there on one of these seven. Like, that's on you. Get your hands up, tip ball, sack, fumble, pressure. Uh, it's hard to pass pro in the NFL, so I, I, I don't think Bobby's doing anything wrong. I mean, obviously, there's always stuff to get corrected, but uh, mm-hmm. no, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan, and I, I don't think that, uh, you know, you look around the league, whether it's Darius Leonard in Indianapolis or, you know, all the guys I used to play against, the Brian Urlachers of the world, the defense is funneled and set up for the middle linebacker to make the tackles. Everyone has a job to do. Uh, D-line, it's about penetration and disruption. Linebackers, it's about making plays, making tackles. What level of the defense concerned you most? In other words, if you were getting ready for a game and the other team had a fantastic secondary or a fantastic linebacking core or a great defensive line that could after the quarterback, what made you most nervous headed into a game? Cheating, guessing, defensive backs, or people that weren't mathematically sound with what they were doing is what I was always concerned Meaning with. people who aren't where you'd expect them to be? Yeah, like like Sean Taylor is an example. Ed Reed is an example. Troy Palomalo is an example of guys that were like, hey, I know what you're supposed to do, but you're just kind of doing your own thing. <laughs> and, and, and it's feast or famine for those guys. You know, I think we might have talked about it last week yeah. with Earl Thomas. You know, it, it uh, he made a tremendous amount of plays and then at times maybe, you know, left his teammates hanging a little bit because he's going to make a play. But if you get to be so instinctual and so good at making plays, that, that's the that's the bottom line. Who are the playmakers? If you're a guy that we can count on to go make a play and be a playmaker, then, hey, go have at it, have freedom, go play. But if you're a guy that's being just a little reckless and you're not making the plays, well, then you just kind of got to come back like the rest of us and play good, sound fundamentals, good, sound technique. And then it's just 11 on 11 defense or 11 against 11 defense. It's interesting to me that right after saying it's the, you know, the pressure that they need to affect the quarterback, that that wasn't the thing that you you were as worried about. Is that just because you had a great offensive line? Well, no, I thought you were talking about like when I would prepare. I mean, this this is just something 
just generally speaking, yeah. the quarterback's job, your job is the back seven. Uh-huh. The, those guys up front, they got to handle their matchups. <laughs> that does me no good sitting up at night saying, like, hmm, I wonder if our guard can block the three technique. <laughs> That's not my job. I mean, I, you, you better just throw on time. But, uh, you know, I think if I, was, if I was just looking at – if I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan and I'm looking at our defense mm-hmm. and I would say what concerns you right now, it would just be the really the lack – of of fear that's coming out of that pass rush situation no matter who that is because they've got guys that are really good at pass rushing we obviously know that but it just hasn't happened and then when they do blitz nothing is choreographed like i'll give you there's an example in my head that that hopefully i can pull it up but like there was there was a, a linebacker on the left hand side that blitzed kirk cousins perfectly timed up but he was ready for it because the defensive end on kirk cousins is right i think it was carlos dunlap stood up before the play to like start his fire zone early mm. which to me my antenna goes up like oh here comes the blitz to the left the defensive end on the right stood up and just so i understand then, fire zone meaning he's dropping back into coverage the own the, the zone blitz thing the defensive yeah, end sorry. drops so now, so basically the linebacker is now blitzing and the defensive end is now in coverage. Yep. And it just wasn't in sync for me. And also then I think Jamal Adams was the safety on coverage. So, again, this should be a sack, a fumble, a, a get off the field. You know, they need seven yards to go. And instead, Kirk Cousins does just a phen- phenomenal job recognizing it, getting the ball out to Adam Thielen. And it's a huge – it's a big gain. It's a 10-yard gain or something for, mm. for Minnesota because – Seattle was just not like choreographed the way that I would say the way that they normally are. And, and those are fixable things, but Minnesota made them pay for those little, you know, half second late opportunities uh, this past week. I also think it's interesting that you pointed at safeties specifically as guys that are those big playmakers who were sometimes in the, you know, not where you'd expect them to be. They don't get paid generally as much as cornerbacks do. The NFL, in its infinite wisdom, has decided safeties are not that important to position. And yet, it sure seems like the best defenses have playmaking safeties. A lot of times when a quarterback is going through the playbook, the quarterback will say, you know, the quarterback coach will say, all right, quarterbacks, your job is to beat the safety. The wide receiver's job is to beat the corner. (laughs) And then that's why you have high-priced wide receivers that can go win one-on-one matchups, and you have high-priced corners that can go shut somebody down so we can play with 10 other guys on the other side of the ball, on the other side of the field. But that that's one of the reasons why I am optimistic about this Seahawks team because obviously we know what Tyler Lockett is as, is as a player, but DK Metcalf is coming on as a complete like inside slot guy, outside by himself, strong side with on the same side as the tight end. He is a complete player, and if they can just figure out how to not get disrupted when maybe he's not had hasn't touched the ball in the first half, like not get bothered by that. His big plays will come, and and he is showing me that he's he is uh, he's really improving. Even though he's already a star, he's he's continuing to improve. Yeah. So what is it? I mean, I, I understand the idea that he can kind of do it all. We were talking to Pete about him this week, and Pete was raving about him. Actually, more as a person than as a as a ball player. But what is it about DK that could set him apart from all the other physical freaks that this league has at that position? There was a play. There was a play maybe in the first half where you know as when you're the biggest guy and you're the fastest guy at wide receiver you almost never really improve or even have the opportunity to improve as a slot receiver 
they usually leave that for like the Cooper Cups of the world, you know, the the Doug Baldwin's of the world, shifty guys, you know, guys that can win option routes, and they're they're giving him opportunities in that role in the slot, and he's doing a great job with it. I mean, he's he's showing some quickness and some shiftiness and some uh, just having a feel for things. I mean, for me, that was always Bobby Ingram. Bobby Ingram was just a tough, hard nose, really understood how to fit in those like inside intermediate type spots. That's usually not a skill set that the fastest guy and the biggest guy, you know, they usually stay outside. DK is showing that versatility. And I think that just comes with like having humility, the way you're going to try to learn something new and not just be bigger, stronger, faster than somebody. But I've, I've definitely been been super impressed with what I've seen from him. Well, the other, unfortunately, what we've seen is the Seahawks starting off great in all these games offensively, and then the second half has not been the same. The first half, we see a lot of the creativity, and Shane Waldron looks like you know he's brought all this new intrigue to the offense, and then they were shut out in the second half on Sunday, and that was a couple of times now we've seen it kind of go up in smoke in the second half. What's the difference? Well, the, number one, the, whole, the story of the whole game was third down. Mm-hmm. Like, third down was just abysmal for both sides of the ball that that really was really the issue i mean and you look at the second half they almost never had the ball and it's kind of chicken and egg right because if the defense can't get off the field then that's really hurting the offense but if the offense can't sustain drives you know if you're five and out every single one of your drives then you're not even giving the defense never mind a chance chance to catch their breath you're not giving them a chance to make adjustments or get coached up or communicate or any of that stuff. And so if you look at the second half, I think the Seahawks, because they were drive killers, which were sacks, what I call drive killers, you know, it's third and 19, it's third and seven, it's third and 12, it's it's third and longs. And, uh, you know, conversely, Minnesota's like third and four, third and five, third and five, third and three. And that's really where you want to be. And so, like, the, the sack – like if you take a sack on a drive in the NFL, your touchdown percentage chance, this is true after week one, I think it went down to like 9% chance you score a touchdown on that drive. If you just take one sack on a drive, it, it really is a drive killer. And so you, you, you got to keep it. You got to keep it rolling. When you were playing third down, I've talked to Brock a little bit about this, but I want to talk to somebody who actually played quarterback like a lot in the league. Wow, you're mean. You're a mean guy. Well, it's just you're Brock. You're a mean guy. It's just Brock. The texters are being meaner, I promise. They all think that you've replaced Brock in my heart and that now texters you're better than Texters or tweeters? Because tweeters are usually very nice people. Uh, yes. No, obviously. Anybody on Twitter is is uh, incredibly nice. The texters are a little more anonymous, so they can, they can kind of <laughs> say whatever they want. Although we do have their phone number if we want to track them down later. Uh, the the difference between plays that are on you versus plays where the offensive coordinator, or in your case, Mike Holmgren, would need to scheme somebody open and get you a free look or a creative look for a first down. How much does that change on third down for you? I, I would just say, you know, if I was looking at like a, a pie chart of my week, you know, say you're getting ready to play games as an NFL quarterback, I would say probably 65 to 70 percent of my time is spent studying third down, maybe more. Why? Third down in red zone. That it's that's the whole deal. And you know, I think I I might have even said this last week. I remember coaches just always saying to me, from the twenty to the, from the twenty to the twenty is not really where you make your money as a quarterback in the NFL. You make your money in the red zone, and you make your money on third down. That that is that is what we're putting the ball in your hands for. That is why you make the big bucks. That this is the whole deal, and so 
it's a, it's a very, very competitive down. I would say the defensive coaches in the similar way, first and second down is like cut, cop, cut, and paste every week pretty much. And then that third down is where you get all that exotic stuff. So how do you um, – it, it's, it's, I love the whole idea of making your money on that third down. If that's the case – would you prefer to be in good third down, down in distances, right, where your running game or whatever is, is setting up those third and two, third and threes you talked about? Or would you prefer the opportunities to try to never get the third down because you're able to move the ball in larger chunks on first and second? Yeah, hey, I, I, you know, sure. I would love to have just, you know, second down, first down. That, that, that would be a great day. But, no, I think the, the, the goal is to have third and manageables, maybe third and four or less, third and five or less. That's, that's a great way to play offensive football. But, you know, on, on the flip side, using your tempo and, you know, getting to the game, understanding what's going on in the game. Like I thought in this game, Seattle had a number number of players that I think cramped up in the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so to me, that's they're on the field too much, and some of that's their fault because they can't get off the field, and some of that's the offense's fault because they can't sustain the drive. So if now I'm on the other side, if I'm Kubiak, the offense coordinator for Minnesota, I'm seeing that hey, they're gassed. They are absolutely gassed. Now our new goal is to, you know, put the pedal to the metal and make sure they stay tired. Maybe we push the tempo. That was one thing that I thought Robbie Tobeck, our, our center, when I was in Seattle, he did such a great job. He had such a good feel for when the when the D line of the other team was exhausted. Mm-hmm. And when those D linemen get tired, what do they do? Those 310-pound guys, they substitute out. They run to the sidelines, and some guy on the sideline runs in the game. Guess what? You're 310 pounds. You're tired from that 40-yard sprint into the game. Like, let's push the tempo. Keep it going. Make you get stuck in the game, and then make you have to sprint out or sprint on the field with no rest, and now go stop the run or stop a play action and get a good pass rush. Can we talk that, about that's those the cramps, game though? within the game. we got to talk about those cramps. They had two guys go out in cramps, one uh, Chris Carr, and the other uh, was uh, was Jordan Brooks, another player who had stomach issues. But the Brooks one is the one that I think raised eyebrows. Hey, Hold on. Game. Bruce Irvin, of all people, Bruce Irvin said, I've never in my life seen a cart come out to take somebody off the field for cramps. Cramps? Wow. Hey, anybody who's cramped up like that has incredible empathy for whoever's cramping up. Bruce Irvin's probably never cramped up. That's a that's a bad bad thing to have happen to you. I'll, I'll just say this for I don't know the science behind this, but dome games I feel like was when I would cramp up after a game, huh. or a lot of my teammates would cramp up in a dome stadium. I don't know why. Air conditioning, in fact, drier air. I don't know, but in fact, before dome games or games like, say, in Denver or uh, Altitude or maybe a hot weather game in Florida, uh, a lot of guys, I would do this, would get an IV of fluids before and after the game. And so you can always tell who gets an IV before the game because they got the little Band-Aid or like the, you know, the wrap right where you get the IV in your forearm. So you can kind of like, oh, yeah. Like I remember Philip Rivers used to always get an IV before every game. Someone told me that. And then I'm looking at his like left arm, basically. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's got the he's got the Band-Aid on right there. I see it. And, uh, it, yeah, so d- dome dome stadiums cramping, oh. you know, again, I don't I don't have science on that, but uh, – uh, I just I just remember that as an anecdotal truth for do, me. Do you play in the Carrier Dome? You must have, right? The Which Big one East? was that? Syracuse? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that yeah, Syracuse? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's one of the like the old no, no air conditioning in the thinking. carrier dome. No, a little known fact. I think that must have been fun. Is that true? I, I don't know. know. If that's true. If you that get an early true. season game, upstate New York, no air conditioning in that place. That actually, I could see cramping in that situation for sure. That was my first road trip in college. We beat uh, Syracuse on the road, and we were celebrating in the locker room with Tom Coughlin, who went to Syracuse, and we were like a mosh pit in there. And I just remember some of the linebackers were like aggressively mosh pitting with Tom Coughlin. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're taking some aggression out on the coach. You're using this celebration as an opportunity to kind of like – bully the coach and body the coach up uh that was uh one of my recollections from my freshman year in college who were your good friends in college who, who were your teammates that you were close with uh, i mean sully fitzy and murph for sure <laughs> obviously but, uh, yes <laughs> no i mean i don't there's probably no guys that you you know we didn't have a great uh team in college we didn't go to bowl games uh my seat my junior or senior year but um yeah, we we had a great team with that of, of you know close knit guys, but it wasn't. Uh, do you, you know. remain close with them? I mean, like I know you have some of your friends from the league still. Do you, are you friends going back with some of your college teammates as well? For sure. And the funny thing is, is that Tom Coughlin, when he was recruiting quarterbacks, he would recruit two in every class, and he would say, "Whoever's worse at the end of the year, uh, we're going to make that person a different position, probably tight end, and then the other guy gets to stay at quarterback." Okay. So at the end of my freshman year. They make me a tight end, and they keep the other freshman as quarterback. And the tight end coach was like, uh, I mean, come on. What, what do you want me to do with this guy? <laughs> so they moved me back to quarterback, and they moved the other quarterback to tight end. And then that guy actually got drafted. He's who's, same, my same year, obviously. That? His name's Todd Pollock. You probably oh, yeah. know him. I remember the He name. got drafted to the New York Giants uh, before I got drafted to the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> he was a higher draft pick than me, but uh, – you know, it's just kind of funny. Is that we, why we Tim remained... ended up doing special teams as a as a freshman or sophomore or whatever? Well, I remember Tim playing special teams. Yeah, we were not a good team, but we had good quarterbacks. Okay. So Tim Tim basically got just so frustrated with how mediocre our special teams were. He went to the special teams coach, and he was like, hey, I, put me out there. I can do better than this. Put me on the punt block <laughs> team. Put me on the kickoff return team. Like, come on. It's awesome. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to announce our Seahawks code word for the Matt Hasselbeck Show. It's your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Seahawks hosting the Rams on Thursday night football. Grab your action green jerseys, your fellow 12s under the lights of Lumen Field for the primetime matchup on October 7th. Tickets still available at Seahawks.com slash tickets. Do you wish you could have worn the action green Seahawks jerseys, Matt? I had one chance to do it, and I had broken ribs, oh. and I was not able to play in the game. Sorry it's to hear that. One of, one of the biggest regrets. Yes, if only you could have worn the action green uh well you have a lot more to come with matt including i gotta get your take on the brady belichick thing this week because you've been around some of that right with holmgren going back to green bay i'm curious what you think is going through brady's mind as he gets ready to take on belichick we'll do it together with matt hasselbeck next here on 710 espn seattle the matt hasselbeck show Presented by Infinity of Bellevue. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. I like this text on Philip Rivers getting IVs. It says, if I had to go home to 18 kids, I'd get an IV before and after every case. <laughs> <laughs> get your energy up for that. That's, that's pretty funny. It's pretty true, though. Matt Hasselbeck. Uh, the Matt Hasselbeck Show every Wednesday from 9 until 10 here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And uh, we'll announce uh, our code word here. Should we do it right now? Heck, let's do it. You can go to 710sports.com slash win. Enter the code word PASS, P-A-S-S, by the end of the show. 
be entered to win a pair of tickets to the Seahawks and the Rams on Thursday, October 7th. Code word expires at 10 a.m. Details and rules and enter at 710sports.com slash win. Again, the code word is pass. Uh, Matt, with uh, we saw the uh, NBC promo. Did you see the Adele, Tom Brady, and Bill Belichick promo this I week? Did. That was emotional. Wow. <laughs> it that was emotional. It definitely made me look up. I wasn't paying rapt attention. I was like, what is this? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's the goal. That's the goal on TV it to worked. get you to look up. Look away from what you were doing. I know. By saying something obnoxious <laughs> or stirring up your feelings. Yes. That's That seems to be what works for people. <laughs> that's why you got into the business, isn't it? To <laughs> try to say obnoxious things. Yeah, you, you know me really well. Attention. Although we are doing our show from uh, Gillette this week. We are usually you? are in New York City, and we're taking the show on the road because of how big this game is. So we're uh, tailgating. Teddy Bruschi, Randy Moss will be a little homecoming. And, awesome. You know, I grew up here, so we're uh, it's like a college game. It's going to be like a college game day show. Uh, I'm just nervous for Rex to see what signs the parent, the Patriot fans come up with for Rex. I, uh, I have a pretty good idea where there's a, where those are going. So we're just going to tell everyone it's really Bill Parcells. I'm not sure how many people will be able to tell the difference, but <laughs> you we'll you see. experienced some of that, right? You were you were with Holmgren when he went back to Green Bay, right? What was that? Yeah. Like? It was crazy. I mean, Brett Favre is like NFL MVP, all this stuff type guy. And, you know, we come in, it's a Monday night game, and Holmgren comes back. And Brett just, the, the emotions were just swelling up in him. I think he might have thrown five interceptions that night. I mean, he he played so un-Brett Favre-like that night that they put me in the game uh, as the backup quarterback to just, like, stop the bleeding, wave the white flag. It was, uh, it was a beatdown. Mike Holmgren and company came back and uh, just put it on the oh, Green Bay Packers. So you were still so, with the Packers the first time he came back? Yeah, I was still with the Packers, so much so that Ray Rhodes, the head coach, and Mike McCarthy, the quarterback coach, they called me into, the, into Ray Rhodes' office, and they were like, what was that? Like, what happened to Brett? Like, what do you know? Like, what what else is there? Like, it was almost like, did he sabotage us on purpose because he likes Mike more than us? Or was it, you know, what was it? I'm like, he's an emotional player. It's an emotional game. He was throwing the deep post every time you called it instead of hitting the shallow cross when he's wide open. It was, uh, it was a good lesson for me to learn as a player. I think I overlearned it because when I got to Seattle and went back to play Green Bay the first time, I played like a robot. I was like, oh, don't let that happen. Don't be too emotional. And I played just boring, <laughs> uninspired football. And then the second time I went back was the wild card game in 03 when we lose on the Al Harris pick. But, like, I, you know, the Al Harris pick aside, I cut it loose that time. Like, I learned how to play where you're using the emotions to your advantage and playing really good football fun like you did in the backyard instead of, you know, just having fun with your teammates and, and just going at it with your with the guys on the other side. So there's a balance there. I'm curious to see how how Brady does. I think he's so great at focusing, but uh, but sometimes you gotta you gotta learn that lesson. And and uh, you know, there's examples of it. Peyton Manning going back to Indianapolis when he was with Denver, and and it does happen. So it's uh it's uh it, it's it's part of the game. Does Belichick have something for him? I mean, does he have something offbeat, out of character, unexpected? Yeah, for Br- I mean, I think so. Is there even anything that is unexpected to Tom Brady at this point? I know what I would do. Um, I'm going to talk about this on my show on Sunday. Basically, when when 
Peyton Manning came back to Indy. He had the eye of the tiger. He had focus. He was dialed in, competitor, fierce. I'm going to attack this defense. We did like a, we killed him with kindness. We did like a four minute video montage. Thank you, Peyton. You're the best. He's too nice of a guy. He had to look up and acknowledge it. Like eyes got teary. He's waving to the fans. He, <laughs> Brady said, Hey, I'm not here to reflect. Like there will be another time to reflect. You play a four and a half minute, four and a half minute video montage. Thank you, Tom. You're the best. Kill him with kindness. He's gonna have to let his guard down. I mean, you don't want him just like blank stare through the eye black. Like I'm here to attack your corner and your linebacker and get mismatches. You want to get him in his feelings. There are feelings here and unprocessed feelings. Uh, I, I think that's one thing that might help him because clearly Tampa's the better team. Well, a couple things. First of all, four and a half minutes might not be enough for Brady and all the highlights <laughs> that you would need to run in order for them to say thank you to him. But Belichick, I mean, that's sort of his thing is just being the master of those mind games with opposing teams, right? Yeah, and, and you know, this is, this is like uh, good on good here, the best against the best. So uh, that's what I think. Surprise him. It's like he's literally never in his life probably had like lovey-dovey moments from Bill. <laughs> like literally Bill Belichick should like be on the Jumbotron. Hey, Tom, this is Bill. I just want to say that you're my favorite. You know, I've never told you this, oh but gosh. I love you. That might kill I love him. you. You know, like he's like, wait, what? You know, what? what? Just, I think Belichick I know, might just, have a stroke trying to make all that happen. You just see him like, that's just, it. Just an idea. He's done. Just an idea. Hey, uh, elsewhere in the NFL, a couple of things that popped up this week. One is, and I asked Clayton about this earlier, what's going on in Chicago? I mean, uh, Fields, I thought, was going to be maybe the best draft pick of this year, but it, there's even – did you hear Dan Orlovsky? I don't know if this falls under the category you were talking about earlier of trying to make people kind of listen to you but or, or pay attention, but Orlovsky basically suggested – that that Nagy was almost doing it in ten here, listen to this. Yesterday's game plan, which was the worst one I've ever seen in my life, was either negligence or intentional. It's been 149 days since the Bears drafted Justin Fields. You had 149 days to start to build a game plan around the skill set of this young man. And it was an embarrassment. I, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but what is going on in Chicago? Uh, listen, I, I like Dan. I, 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 I'm in the other camp. I strongly disagree with what he's saying there. Uh, listen, they called, I think, maybe like seven b- between bootlegs, naked bootlegs, zone reads in that game. I thought it was bad quarterback play, to be honest with you. They did help with running backs and tight ends and chipping, despite what you probably hear on the radio and on some TV shows. Uh, I, I Go watch the film is kind of what I would say. Like, go go watch the game. The quarterback played bad. The the offensive line played bad. The wide receivers didn't play well. Uh, some of it was bad luck. They kind of guessed wrong. This was a this was a seven point game in the fourth quarter. It was thirteen to six in the fourth quarter. Like the game wasn't like. It, I don't know the, the, the overreaction on some of these things for for some of these players. Justin Fields seems to be a lightning rod type guy with Andy Dalton and that whole thing. Uh, if it were me, I would start Andy Dalton or I would start Nick Foles. And and if, when I look at Justin Fields, when I watch him play, I see a guy who looks like I looked when I first got in there. Mm. And he's just not he's clearly to me not ready to play. It does he's, seem to be habit, though, of, of blaming coaches now, especially with all of the sort of quote unquote smart football fans out there and people that have run the numbers and think they're experts, et cetera. You know, I, I saw some criticism in Philadelphia because they didn't run motion once the entire game. You see the the Matt Nagy criticism. It seems like 
there's now a belief that people can, because no one can do what the players can do, I think a lot of folks feel like they can do what the coach can do, and so that's where they, they point their finger. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not sure. I, I know that if you say say you're in the media, and for the last three months you've been saying Justin Fields is the answer, Justin Fields is the answer, Justin Fields is the answer, and then he goes out and throws for one yard in a game, one net passing yard in a game. Well, now what do you say? Like you got what's your next move? Yeah, I, I guess Matt Nagy's your next move. But you know the 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 motion thing is a big thing because I think the San Francisco 49ers were just on national TV and they're talking about how they use pre snap motion so good it's so effective. I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. But as a quarterback, I didn't love pre snap motion because yes, the defense was getting confused, but then. Their confusion was confusing me, so I preferred a little less pre-snap motion. Peyton Manning never used pre-snap motion, ever. Does that mean that Indy and Peyton Manning never had a good offense? So it's just like what it's kind of sometimes what flavor of ice cream do you like? And, um, you know, that's how I see Philly. Philly's not terrible on offense. Jalen Hurts isn't doing terrible. Uh, and, and, you know, if motion's not a huge part of their offense, then – that's just how it is. I love it. All right, we're going to rank things coming up next. This has led to some fantastic answers from Matt so far this year, and I think we've got a timely uh, ranking that should lead to some fun Matt stories. It's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. More of the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwumfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. All right, time to rank things. Today with Matt Hasselbeck. Maura, you're lucky that Matt is here today. Otherwise, we would have a whole nother list of the five best songs about belief. Matt, they have the worst taste in songs. They've been blasting Share. Do you believe in life after love all week? <laughs> Sharing they're just the showing, love. They're just showing their age. That's all. <laughs> Don't make me, more. I'll do it with Matt here. I'll dance even with Matt here. No, I won't. I'm sorry. I feel like there's a lot of great remixes of that song. Well, I mean, how, why would you need a remix when the original is so Started great? out as a remix. Yeah. Well, so you can just keep playing it all year long. <laughs> just mix up all their different remixes. Different versions. All right. All right, Matt, here's what we got today for Ranked for Real. Um, perhaps you saw the linebacker coach for Baltimore injured himself. What, he twist an ankle, broken ankle? No, he blew out, blew out a hamstring. He blew out a hamstring celebrating Justin Tucker's incredible kick. By the way, that was pretty incredible, right? I mean, as, even as a football player, you still got to be impressed with a 66-yard kick to win, right? In- incredible. Uh, NFL record, 66 yards. That That's unbelievable. And it makes it even better that your linebacker coach blows out his hamstring and goes <laughs> to the ground like a sniper got him. It was really incredible. All right, so with that in mind, we thought we would ask you to, to dig back into your memory bank. The five most ridiculous or worst off-field injuries, like non-contact football injuries, that you can remember in your time ranked. Yeah, so listen, the, the low-hanging fruit there would be Gus Farad celebrating headbutting sure. the wall, Grammatica tearing his ACL, celebrating a kick, or Brian Greasy tripping over his dog, you know, some of that stuff. But we, we already know those stories, so I'm going to go with some that maybe you don't know. Okay, okay. here's one. You know, in the off-season OTAs, the coaches will take you the team like, hey, OTAs practiced is canceled today. We're going to go bowling, right? Every year we would go bowling, it seems like there was an injury. And here's what it was, okay? When I first started doing this in Green Bay, hamstrings. 
these offensive and defensive coaches, kind of the older guys usually, they would pull a hamstring. I won't name names. And then we get to Seattle. <laughs> you won't and the name whole thing names? Was like, for listen, listen. These like these guys are elderly now. I can't, I can't do it. You know. So, but, <laughs> but then we get to Seattle, and the whole thing is like, oh, who's going to pull a hamstring? Who's going to pull a hamstring? And wouldn't you know it? Like we get this big talk. Mike Holmgren gives this big talk. Nobody get hurt. One of our coaches, one of our coaches, uh, it might not have even been Mike Holmgren, but anyway, one of our coaches slips in the bowling shoes and gets a concussion. Okay, so bowling. Look out. Anybody who doesn't bowl and goes bowling, Dangerous. look out for that. That's I thought five. you were going to say wrist injuries trying to hold the ball and spin it, but but hamstrings and, an, and a concussion. You would think. I was not and listen, that. And, and then those 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 coaches, those hammies don't recover no. quite as quickly as like NFL player All hammies right. recover. Number four. So, Number four, Walter Jones, okay? He's going to hate me for telling this, and it's quite all right. Okay, here we go. I'm getting him back. So here you go. Walter <laughs> Jones would tape up his hands like all the offensive linemen would tape up their hands, okay? Well, there's this thing called tape cutters, and it's basically like a safer way to cut the tape off of your hands. Well, Walt's got his left thumb all taped up, and it's kind of hard to do with the tape cutters if you don't uh, clean them out or whatever, and Walt cuts the tape and actually accidentally slices his thumb slices like the nerves on his thumb i think to this day walter jones may have no feeling from the nerve in his left thumb um which might have been the reason when he slapped me that one time that you know he didn't realize (laughs) what he did but you know so all right walter jones nearly taking off his thumb and to, and to his credit, he played through it. Of course. Okay? And it was inspiring to all of us, but very scary moment in the locker room that um, that I'm sharing now. So, number three. Okay. Number three, me. Okay? Oh, this, no. this happened to me. Okay? So I'm not just throwing stones at Walter Jones. Park, we're at the Kirkland facility. I go there to practice at Park. I never would lock my car. I don't know why. I just thought I'm just going to leave my keys in the car. Well, one time getting in there, I got my hands are full, and I slam the door. But then I like I realize, like, oh, wait, my keys are in my hand. So I go to throw the keys in my hand. It's like a Friday. I, throw, I go to throw the keys back in the car and see if I can get my hand out real quick before the door shuts. And no, I did not. I slammed the door <laughs> on my right hand on a Friday uh, before a game, obviously. And uh, so, like, it was like a really, really bad awkward. I ended up playing in the game, but truthfully, I was like, I don't know if I can even hold a football. Like, <laughs> yes. this is a did really you play bad. well. I don't think it was an issue by Sunday, but but I just remember Mike Holmgren calling me up to his office after I'd gone through the doctor stuff, and he's like. You, you you realize, like, what you do for a living, right? Like, you don't have that right hand. You're of absolutely no use to me or, or to any of us. It's not like he's driving so. a Saturn. Those doors are probably heavy. Right. You needed, the, like, the Bull Durham thing, how he, he's supposed to throw a punch with his left hand, not his right. Use yeah. the wrong hand. It was just a stupid move. It was I was kind of sleepwalking Funny. through the day. You know how you do that. It hurts anyone who's ever slammed a door on their hand. It hurts really bad and uh, it causes a little bit of damage. All right. Number two. And all that kind of stuff. Number two, I went with something kind of current. Okay, this was just totally amazing to me. And uh, I've broken my ribs, you know, in my NFL career. And, and then the next week, the doctors and the athletic trainers, they would inject your ribs with like Novocaine, basically. They call it Marcaine. But they basically just numb it up. But before they do it, they always tell you, like, hey, this probably won't happen, but we just got to tell you. We could puncture your lung accidentally. So after we're done here, you got to sit here and make sure that we didn't puncture your lung. So shout out to the great medical staff in Seattle with the Seahawks that never punctured my lung. But 
my guy Tyrod Taylor down at the Chargers last year, right before the game, gets his his ribs injected and they puncture his lung, which brought on Justin Herbert, who's lighting the league on fire right now, number one in the NFL in third down completions. But he didn't find out he was starting his first game until literally seconds or Mm -hmm. minutes before that game. And he goes out against the Chiefs. Throws for over 300 yards and three touchdowns, and Tyrod never never played another another down there. So All right, running uh, short on time. So number one, number one, Jack Del Rio, head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He wants his team to keep chopping wood, keep chopping away. So he brings an axe into the locker room, and he wants everyone to take a swing. Well, his punter. Takes a swing at ricochets and cuts his leg. He's out six weeks and goes on the IR. All because Jack Del Rio, who's now the defensive coordinator for the Washington football team, he was wanted to like have a metaphor, like a word picture for his team. And and there you go. Not 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 very good. There you go. Not very good. All right, Matt. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Great stories as always. We'll do it again next Wednesday. All right. Always fun, guys. Thank you. This is good. That's the Matt Hasselbeck Show every Wednesday from 9 to 10. You can download that wherever you get your podcast with the Mike Salk Show. Apple Podcasts is a good spot. Hey, you can even review it there now that we're up on Apple Podcasts. We even have some decent reviews. I don't know how. So go take care of that. The Brock and Salk Podcast will be out later today. We'll catch you guys tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. See ya.